Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Jackass Forever. The fourth film and possibly final film in the Jackass franchise is out and about. We went and saw it and we're excited to talk about it. We're also going to take a look at Netflix's The Lost Daughter. This is uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's first film as a director, directorial debut. Uh, got a bit of Oscar buzz this week, so we're excited to tell you what we thought. And speaking of the Oscars, they're out. The Oscar noms are out for the year. That's uh, right. Lots of good picks. I know. It's exciting. <laughs> uh, there's joy there's heartbreak there's scandal oh, there's controversy there's snubs i got a short list of snubs a mile long it's not even a short list it's a long list and we're going to talk about all of it in the middle of our show and we need to get to the news as well uh but first really quick andy did you do you did a radio interview today right i did I, I, who, about an hour about? after the uh i talked to uh krld news radio uh about the oscar short list about an after after they were hour after they were announced I think people might think that we're like joking when we say you do like interviews, but like, no, you really do. And they introduce you as a doctor we, yeah, because you right. are an esteemed professor of cinema. Well, not actually cinema, but, <laughs> right. uh, you know, thanks, man. I, how'd it go? Everything good? Everybody good over on Carol D? Uh, yeah, uh, some in-depth questions. It, it was difficult because I was trying to like gather my thoughts and there's a lot of information. So you're trying to like think of, you know, surprises, snubs, well-deserved, like who got left off and like you're trying to juggle, you know, 30, 40 films in your head and like and answer questions, so. Yeah, I mean, you didn't even have time to look up like, you know, Twitter well, gossip, that, right? Well, no. You were on it this morning. Like you didn't have anybody backing you up on that. You had to go in cold. So this is this is my cinema sense work working because I woke up probably about an hour before my alarm was supposed to go off and I was like yeah. woke up, I immediately thought they're announcing them right now and I got on and like they had only announced like four or five of them and I was like watching uh -huh. the live stream on Twitter oh my god there was a live sense. stream on Twitter of the announcements cinema yeah. since then okay yeah it I was, was gonna say how did like yeah the Oscars don't live stream anything how did they how did you find live streams of the announcements well yeah. that worked out what time was the interview uh 8 30 839 oh my god right yeah. dude you really were on it i was definitely still in bed for that um <laughs> i realized you you could have been in bed for the interview too but i'd imagine you probably got up anyway uh thanks for representing the show tell tell those krld people that the off script folks are you know happy to have them anytime they want to come <laughs> that's, <over>. right. that's <laughs> right they, they can slip us a resume see if we can get them on our guest list our first <laughs> story this week a new scream sequel is a go from spyglass and paramount scream six has officially been greenlit we're headed back to woodsboro after the smashing success of scream five uh andy you found this story what do you know about this so scream Otherwise, in the Scream 5, uh, the sequel reboot to the Screams franchise uh, has made over $100 million globally on a, about a $40 million budget. So it's a hit, and it's only in its second week or so. So it is continuing to make money and will we'll probably you know make a lot more during its run. So it's a certified hit. The fans still love it. There's still life in the series. So we're getting, getting another one in probably about two years. Production's supposed to start this summer. I'm going to be honest. Um, when you initially sent this link over, I mean, you saw what I said. I, I was not super stoked about this. <laughs> I, I don't have the most faith in Scream 6. And I'll tell you why. If, you, if you're listening to the show and you didn't, didn't hear our review of Scream 5 or maybe you haven't seen it, 
a lot of Scream 5 works because the script is this kind of meta commentary, as Scream films are prone to do, about the franchise and nostalgia and how long it's been since the last one and this kind of reboot sequel they're doing. So a lot of Scream 5 works because of the previous films and the time between them. Scream 6 isn't going to have much of that luxury. In fact, it's going to have less of that luxury because it's going to have less returning characters than Scream 5 did. It seems like they're working their way towards some kind of handoff. But like you've pointed out, Andy, a lot, a lot of handoff franchises don't actually really yes. ever happen. Yeah. One of my editorials, which I've never actually written, only talked about is that, uh, you know, there was a time when you would hand off a property. And my example of this is the ill-fated Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the, Indiana, the fourth Indiana Jones film, where it was kind of insinuated that Shia LaBeouf would maybe take up the mantle, take over for Indiana Jones himself. Uh, and and then never... right, right at the end of the movie, they pluck the hat away from him. No, no, you, you're not going to be Indiana Jones. Right. But, but there was an insinuation to hand that off the series to someone else. And the problem with all these sequel reboots is they, in, they introduce a new cast of characters and then they just never actually give them the properties. So the, the new Star Wars trilogy is a perfect example. We, we get the old cast and the young cast. And we never really just hand things over. You just kind of have both the whole time. And and I think Scream 5, like, it manages to walk that line, right? Because it's not quite as bad as, like, the Child's Play reboot. But it's not quite as in-your-face as, like, the Halloween reboot from, from David Gordon Green. Um, it's kind of right in the middle. And it works. It manages to carve out its own place. But, like, kind of uniquely as a one-er, I don't know if they pull it off again. I, I think the script's going to be really lame because a lot of what Scream five the, the things that work with the script the things that didn't work with the characters and 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 a lot of the suspense so i'm not super hopeful about this one but they killed it at the box office and the next one will probably do really well so maybe maybe come scream seven <laughs> I'll have yeah, some to stand on it's, it's one of those so, things the yeah it, 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 the fans love it if you're a fan yeah. of of scream and the scream series you're just gonna keep going back yeah. <laughs> so and, and there's a big enough fan base keep doing it so who knows what they're gonna do they'll figure something out and everyone will go see it yeah indeed well speaking of going back uh one more story before we get to our oscar noms in the middle of the show uh jackass forever is killing it at the box office well not really killing it, it made 23.5 million dollars over the opening weekend but coming off a pandemic that's pretty good especially since in a lot of circles this is closer to a documentary than it is like an actual proper fictional film um that's those are pretty good numbers certainly better than dumbass moonfall right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what's particularly impressive is that Jackass Forever was made on a $10 million budget. So they've already, you know, they're already making a profit and it's going good. That was the first week and it'll probably continue to earn more uh, during it, its run. It is way down from Jackass 3D, which debuted to $50 million, uh, but that was over 10 years ago or about 10 years ago. And the bigger story is that it went up against the $140 million disaster picture moonfall uh which is for by all accounts really terrible there there's a there's a really great kermode rant like a 10 minute rant about uh how bad this film is um yeah yeah, it's it's, it's epic um yeah and and that movie also that movie only made about 10 12 million for the weekend uh so it's losing massive massive amounts of money and and it joins you know ridley scott in this era this cadre of directors that um what use what used to be certified hits are kind of uh outdated now and costly and losing a whole bunch of money god i you know listen that costs more than that costs more than the last duel and made way less money 
Hey, right. I'm never going to get look like we love bold cinema here on the podcast. And in a lot of ways, Jackass is bold cinema. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to fight that out. And maybe we'll talk about it in our review here in a few minutes. But like, I'm never going to get mad that a Jackass movie does well. I just I can't like there's something so childishly sophomoric about it that I appreciate what's happening there. I obviously that gives some light into how I'm going to feel about the film. But as for Roland Emmerich's Moonfall, I think he's got to learn the same lesson that Ridley Scott and many other big directors are learning. Obviously, it's not the same level as Ridley Scott. But the fact is, audiences are different after the pandemic. Nobody has their finger on the pulse of what will and won't work unless you have some monster franchise behind you and some actual numbers to back up what you're talking about. Nobody can be sure. Audiences are up in the air lately. Everybody's staying at home watching streaming stuff. If your movie comes out in theaters, you better know it's going to work. And God, launching Moonfall next to Jackass was a bad move. We were talking about this weeks ago on this podcast. That's a bad move. I mean, I think and that movie, that movie would have done terribly against any I mean, with against no competition, like people would yes. have just stayed home. That's the problem now. Is that it used to be? Well, if you just put something in the cinema, like people will go because they're going to the cinema now. But there's too much, too many at home options that oh, just, there's nothing good out. I'll just stay home. Yeah, and and I, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's weird to talk about, right? It feels like a part of a part of how I understand movies is is kind of going away, but it's it's changing, and that's all right because Jackass Forever is a lot of fun, and it seems like Moonfall maybe isn't so much. So if you haven't seen Moonfall, maybe don't 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 go out of your way. All right, it'll be on streaming services eventually. I'm sure we'll be able to watch it there. Uh, you know, and maybe it'll be fun there. It should have played in January. It should have run in like a low low pressure month like when not a lot's going on and people need something to go see then maybe it maybe moonfall would have worked but for the budget for what they spent on that movie i mean it wasn't like 140 million or something yeah, like something crazy good god <laughs> jackass is 10 million anyway uh we should move on to our proper review of jackass one more small thing right here not not actually a story i put a banner together for but i guess it's probably Worth mentioning, uh, box office milestone, Spider-Man has passed up Avatar's original domestic run. Uh, I know what this means because I actually read this article, which is why I feel like I, I should talk about it. Uh, Andy, you mind if I dig into this for a minute? Go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, has, that's Yes, No Way Home. I'm talking about a Spider-Man movie. I can't remember what the actual subtitle is. Spider-Man No Way Home has now passed Avatar's original run at the U.S. box office. This is not international. Let me be clear. And I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but for now, eight weeks in, Sony's Spider-Man movie is a tremendous hit. A huge hit. We got likely the biggest hit of the year. I don't know if anything does better. I mean, just just huge in in the u.s it, bar none doing great i mean it's what's like the biggest film in the last two years basically yeah like it's it's nuts um but what's interesting about this outside of how much of a dark horse breakaway this seems to be from what we've previously seen at the box office the last couple of years is at least to me it still doesn't hold a candle to avatar's international run or avengers endgame's international run avatar made nearly triple what what spider-man has made internationally and i know spider-man's not quite done at the box office but it's eight weeks in we're coming up on yeah, the end of it i mean that's that you're pretty much pretty much out um avatar made 2.64 billion dollars globally 2.64 billion dollars out of one movie that is insane and that's the reason disney bought the rights to pandora land in, in animal kingdom that's the reason we're getting avatar two three four and five because it made so much money overseas my god oodles of cash i thought i understood it then i saw the spider-man story and thought oh my god like it's not even close it's not even 
knows how much money they made for every one spider-man ticket sold they sold three tickets to avatar i mean why wouldn't you green light a sequel right especially from the director of titanic in terminator 2 i mean it I don't know. For some reason, reading this, like reading Spider-Man Pass Up Avatar's original domestic run, I feel like that was supposed to be the headline, the hook. And then when you actually dig into the meat, you're like, oh my God, dude, Avatar is a titan. Um, and it's easy to forget because it's kind of the butt of a lot of cultural jokes. <laughs> but people liked Avatar, man. At least, when it, at least when it came out, it did. International audiences loved it. So maybe maybe a bit of a, a, bit of a precursor for, for Avatar 2, maybe. Anyway. Any thoughts on that, Andy? Sorry, I know that was a bit... No, it's just, it's wild that... I mean, because, like I said, everyone has been really surprised about... Like, everyone knew that Spider-Man would do well, and no one thought it would be this colossal mega hit, like, uh, upsetting records. You know, it's now fourth highest grossing film of all time. It's just... We we knew it would be good, but it was just... It's really just connected with audiences in a way that no one predicted. Yeah, and I think seeing, like, Spider-Man's surprising success to me juxtaposed with like older records of how avatar did really does bring to light just how how much of a monolith avatar was when it came out like because it just seems, it seems silly now right what the, we're getting five avatar sequels this many years later like who's gonna who cares who's gonna watch that but man like if i could hop in a time capsule and go back it would it would seem obvious like why wouldn't you have that you know and i wonder i wonder how much that'll hold I don't know. I don't know what kind of cultural value that still has now. Um, time will tell, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we should get to our review of uh, Jackass Forever. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. It's pretty short, pretty easy, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Jackass Forever. A lot of people ask, what will Jackass be like once we're older? Well, it'll get more mature. So, Jackass Forever is the first time the Jackass crew is reunited on screen in 11 years. The last time we saw them was Jackass 3D, a movie full of pranks and gore and guts and grime and all kinds of goofy things that your stupid little friends from MTV would still be doing on screen to make each other laugh. And Jackass Forever is no different, except for the fact that there's some new characters in town. The Jackass crew has returned, and they are older and grayer, but still still somehow are managed to bring the laughs uh, in a way that I think a lot of people didn't expect. They bring some new friends in, a lot of new pranks and gags, and ultimately are just trying to get a rise out of each other uh, in the funniest way possible. If you've never seen one, a Jackass movie is fundamentally almost a documentary. It's a group of friends <laughs> that basically follow. I mean, it really is like they, they, they follow each other around and they mess with each other and poke fun at each other and hit each other with tasers and shoot each other with beanbag guns and kick each other in the nuts. And one of their friends, uh, director Jeff Tremaine, films it all and cuts it together. And that's basically your movie. It's more complicated than that by now, of course. There's a few scenes that are almost cinematic as helped with friend of Jackass Spike Jones, uh, director of uh, Her and a few other wonderful features. Um, so there's, there's some there's some cinema to it for what it is. But really, I mean, it's it's like watching the MTV show Jackass, except blown up on your screen for two hours in a theater. I have seen things on a screen in a theater that I thought I would never see in my whole life. Uh, there are moments in this movie where I, I, I couldn't look away from what was happening. And there are moments where I couldn't look at the screen because it was so <laughs> awful. <laughs> Jackass Forever is probably the hardest I've laughed in a movie in five years. Uh, I, I mean, it might be the hardest I continue to laugh at films in a long time. I, I had so much fun watching this movie. It's so childish and I love it. Andy, what'd you think of Jackass Forever? 
Uh, well, the first thing I want to say is that I saw the the first two in theaters, and the I remember in the original one, just laughing my head off, just uncontrollable laughter at the stunts, at the craziness, at the the pain, <laughs> the everything about it. It's just super wild. Um, and I didn't know if that formula would still hang up. I, I would tell you know, have I matured? Have they matured? Is this, <laughs> Am I out of touch? Right. Yeah. yeah. Are, the, are these you know are these guys going to really work this time around? And they overwhelmingly did. Like it, I, I left more in just the opening like ten minute sequence than I have in most comedies. Uh, it's so disarming, break. dude. Oh god, I know we can uh, talk about it, but yeah, but in just that, and and the the fact is, it, it still works, and it works because you you got these friends, you know, that the, they're real life friends uh, and they're close people, and they're just doing these outrageous, dangerous, painful absurd stunts and uh and they think about ways to make them funny ways to make them hurt waste and it is just it's hilarious to watch it's painful to watch it's a lot of gross out humor but that also i I mean it it, it's the magic of cinema of transferring the feeling that's happened on screen into uh you know into the viewer and yeah it was hilarious and i it's still got it it still works it's amazing to me yeah jackass is obviously a very simple formula right you get like five or six people who are technically stuntmen uh even though like they're no way qualified to be stuntmen i don't think there's no they didn't go to any kind of school like they're just goofy skaters and former uh drug addicts who have made a living filming them you know hitting each other and smacking each other and pulling pranks on each other and uh, doing awful things to one another but all in the spirit of having fun and and laughing and enjoying each other's company. And that's often painful and can sometimes be even like really hard to watch grimacing even right. Like wincing at the screen. Um, But you find like they're having so much fun making themselves the butt of the joke. That's an important part of the jackass formula. You're not pranking strangers on the street. You are the gag. Like if you're a jackass, you are the thing people are laughing at. They have so much fun making each other the butt of the joke and inviting us in the audience along for the ride through Jeff Tremaine's camera, through, through the direction and through the editing room that like we get to safely enjoy all of the laughs and all the thrills and chills of jackass from the comfort of our theater with a bucket of popcorn and a couple of friends. Like it is a delightful amount of fun, even if oftentimes uh, it's incredibly sophomoric and often, often difficult to watch. Um, but that's part of what makes it fun, right? It's like a roller coaster. You never really know where jackass is headed, but you know, you're going to have a fun time getting there. So I, I want to talk about, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, well and I think part of what they've done is through the show, the jackass show that was on mtv 20 years ago and the films they've created several formulas or several things that are iconic to to jackass films and series and it's things like you know they have creative names for all all the stunts uh scorpion botox comes comes to mind uh yeah you know they have they have several stunts that they have done throughout the course of the series and that may make an appearance here is as well there's different the people play different roles you know johnny knoxville's the the ringleader uh there's several people that are kind of the group punching bags and right steve-o's like the wild he's the wild card wild man out um you know and and the growth like the gross out humor as well and then that's part of like the the, so they've created trends within their own 
thing that they do and they they that also kind of gives it a sense of consistency yeah the way the cast kind of carves themselves out in the show is is a big part of what makes it work because jackass truly is built on authenticity like not only in friends being authentic with one another and being honest and being able to laugh and give each other a hard time but also in like their expressions of joy and subsequent pain and anguish <laughs> when they're in these gags when steve-o is like screaming because something awful has happened to him it's so real and like that's part of what makes it funny that like it's just such a you're watching absurdist situations on screen and like a group of idiots laughing at them and like it's just so goofy to see this in reality you feel like you're like you're in on the gag like you're part of the gang um some of the and, and the cast does a great job of keeping this all together like you said Knox, knoxville's our ringleader long live johnny knoxville uh, and we got a bunch of the old crew returning if you're watching on facebook live with us you can see some of them on screen right now we've got steve-o uh chris pontius is back danger aaron uh, uh preston lacy we man jason we man acuna acuna and what's the other one dave england is back uh, we are suspiciously missing Bam Margera. He's kind of got his own problems. And Ryan Dunn is missing since he passed away in 2005, I want to say. It could be wrong. Um, he has a wonderful little little bit at the end, a tribute. But uh, we also get some new characters in, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Zach Hollis, another Preston Lacey kind of big guy. A man named uh, Poopies who comes in. A guy named... Oh, Jasper and his father, Dark Shark, come in and, and a female yeah, comedian named Rachel Hollis. And these young kids are so hardcore, dude. <laughs> I feel like they make the older guys look tame because um, the older guys got to take it easy. Right. They get concussed and stuff. Uh, uh, they're. They, they, and they do a lot of gnarly stuff in this movie, but good God, like <laughs> these kids who grew up watching Jackass and have been invited to watch to, to be in the film. They're so hardcore, dude. Like, good Lord. Yeah, uh, Rachel Wolfson is the is the oh, the, the woman Ellis something. Um, uh, was it Rachel? But, oh, I don't know. But uh, that's part of what um, I, I think where Jackass has kind of uh, updated itself is it's introduced uh, a young and more diverse cast. Um, it's been just primarily a show of white guys, and they've introduced diversity. There's a, a woman on the squad now. Uh, the only downside uh, or not downside but they these new people don't really have the camaraderie and they're not really given the chance to really develop themselves in the same way because that's part of like i said so much of why this works is just like the relationships between these guys have been doing it for 20 years yeah a, a jackass movie is a bit like a road movie because our characters are traveling throughout the country going to different places or really the world going to different places and doing performing different stunts or pranks or gags sometimes they'll be at an alligator pit in you know australia and in the next scene the camera will fade to black and fade back up and they'll be at like some kind of makeshift redneck water park in florida like they, they will just jump around randomly. So you do have a feeling that you're on a bit of a journey with these guys to make this movie. And that's the bit of it that feels documentary. Often you can see characters standing just off screen, laughing at things. They'll be sitting between takes when a prank is pulled on them, you know, out, out outside. They'll be following COVID restrictions. People with face masks will be walking around like you do have a bit of a it's a bit of an adventure. It's a bit of a journey like to, to jump into a jackass movie and follow these guys along as they travel the world and make this movie and, and <laughs> rib on one another. Um, but it's an incredibly rewarding one. And, and often you feel as if you are invited in on this 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 kind of fun and having. And, and it's to me, it like spreads a lot of positivity. Um, 
even if some of the pranks are really hardcore. We should probably talk about them. Um, yeah. Um, good. Good Lord. Um, good God. So the, the pranks that they do in these shows are meant to be dangerous, are meant to be painful, and also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> they're, and the thing is, they're always trying to prank each other. Like, they do the official things that they've set up and require, like, the camera crew, coordination, whatever. But then they're always trying to get each other. Like, they're always trying to secretly ch- tase each other or, like, only tell tell them about half the, the prank that's happening. Um, there's a great one called uh, Silence of, of the Lambs, which it, they introduce as one joke, and then halfway through, it's actually something else, and the participants don't know what's, ha- what's happening. Um, and that's how part, because part of what they do is get these really raw reactions of like, oh, no, I'm, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, th- and that's part of what they do. But, like, they're painful. They're really gross, which is something else we can get into. What, do you, what are your thoughts on these breaks? Uh, no, I feel the same way. Um, jackass movies are traditionally pretty gnarly to watch, but this one is is really rough, um, mostly because of the like very I, I, look. Looking back on the jackass movies, I've watched them a few times. I, I feel like I could say handily this one has the most male nudity. Handily. <laughs> Um, I can't believe this didn't get an NC-17 rating. And I know you said when I mentioned at the time, well, none of it's sexual. I'm like, I know, but dude, I've never seen this much like male nudity in a cinema ever. And in a way, that's progressive. It, it actually in a really important way. And that's part of what makes this movie certified gold cinema. But regardless, um, there's also a lot of like really torturous, painful stuff. Because that's a part of Jackass, right? Like not only are you getting a laugh out of Johnny Knoxville tasing Steve-O, Steve-O's getting tased and there's going to be pain involved in that. So part of the gag is stuff that's going to make you wince. And there's like insects in here. There's spider bites. There's like electric shocks. Oh, man. There's all kinds of stuff, dude. And like on the one, it's funny, but on the other hand, like I was literally wincing in my seat, you know, like it just, <laughs> it's just, it's hard to keep that stuff down. And in, in being able to watch that with your friends in a theater, especially a theater with a bunch of people in it is likely the best way you can possibly experience those feelings. Yeah. I mean, th- there are parts where the, the camera crew is starting to lose it. Like they're heaving and gagging and like, they can't, they're barely keeping it together because of what's happening. And yeah, I wanted to comment on the male nudity as well. You know, so much of Hollywood is about leering at the female body primarily and sometimes the male body. And this is the antithesis of that where there, yeah. there is so much full frontal male Good nudity God. and it's completely un- unflattering. You know, it's not any kind yes. of, of sexual or exploitative it, it is because a lot of the gags in, involve that part of the body and uh you see a whole lot of it and it's it, it's so so painful and th- yeah. th- that's part of the gag and it, it's like we we're gonna make you look so uncomfortable f- simply by how much male nudity you have to watch and then see it like have pain yeah yeah it's um it's really something else and like i that that makes that makes Jackass a tough thing to recommend to people who maybe have never seen it, especially <laughs> this one. My God, if you've never seen anything from Jackass and you're like, no, where do I he, start? You don't, he, don't. He, no, see, I disagree. It's even better. To, really? To oh, God, no, I, I, I'd start him at one and walk him through. I, I think part of it's that legacy, right? Like, because nostalgia is a big part of this one. Like coming back after this much time, Johnny Knoxville has this striking gray hair. The guys look visibly older and many of the older guys don't do a lot of the stunts anymore. They take it easy. Knoxville 
Bill has said uh, this time he gets hit by a bull in this movie. The last time he's had 16 concussions in his life. And he's like, I can't anymore. I mean, all of these guys report waking up every day with joint pain, back pain, knee pain. These guys have beat the hell out of themselves for 30 years for everybody's entertainment, which obviously I appreciate. Um, but it makes it, you know, sometimes it can make it tough to watch. So I'm, I think the introduction of the new cast stepping in and doing a lot of those gags really does work. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from it. I don't, I'm not frustrated that, oh, well, why isn't Steve-O doing that? No, dude, all the old guys get up to some pretty gnarly stuff. The young guys do too. Um, but for what it's worth, like, I think it comes together into this really full picture that doesn't feel like it takes anything away from what Jackass is. It feels like it adds to what Jackass is. Right. <laughs> that, well, and, and, and that I makes any sense. Yeah. I think one thing that I really appreciate in that I've, we, we were kind of talking afterwards is that there is no like drug or alcohol related stunts or pranks or that kind of humor in this. And part of that has no. to do with uh, a lot of the guys struggling with, with substance abuse problems throughout their careers, but also the, you know, this was on, I think maybe because it started on TV and you couldn't have had those kinds of pranks on, on TV, but they just, it would be easy to do that. It would be easy to say, okay, everyone's going to get really drunk and then try to do xyz and they don't do that they, pur they are purposely avoiding that kind of low-hanging fruit you know for a number of reasons but it's it's good that it's in a way it's not clean humor but in a way it is because it's not like the substance dependent yeah and and that's worth mentioning like old jackass those guys were definitely hopped up when they were making those movies for sure like there many of them were usually and actively using drugs and alcohol when they were making them maybe not necessarily on set but like, I, I mean, these guys were like punk skaters. They were probably doing that on set behind the scenes. Um, and it's funny watching reviews or watching kind of like interviews with people who have been part of the film, Knoxville and Jeff Tremaine mostly, because uh, they're kind of the ringleaders. Jeff Tremaine behind the camera as the director and Knoxville as kind of the actual de facto ringleader on screen. Um, they said Jackass 2 was probably the most tonally gnarly of the pranks and the stunts because as, as, as jeff Tremaine said everybody was ready to die in jackass 2 literally <laughs> term used. everybody was ready to die he's like those guys would literally die on camera if they thought it would make the other guys laugh like they didn't even care he's like now obviously not that way very much so not that way like we want everybody to be safe obviously we want to be able to get good footage and like get a good stunt out but like nobody ever wants to see somebody laying still at the end of stunt and you still don't in this movie and there's a couple times it happens and it's it's a bit harrowing because suddenly this kind of engaging form of entertainment even watching it comes to a screeching halt and it's like oh no is that person okay are they all right you always want to see your favorite cast members get up and dust themselves off and jackass forever gives you the pleasure of seeing that most of the time, like in the best way. And I think ultimately that's what makes it work. Yes, these guys are not ready to die like they were in Jackass 2. Um, but that really wasn't okay then. And it feels really good now that they're so far on the other side of it. You can see guys like Steve-O doing incredibly well after being really embroiled in addiction, in scandal. Like you can see these guys doing much better. It's a shame not everybody could join them from the original cast, but, you know, they, they got stuff to work through. And... Yeah, I'd like somehow Jackass Forever comes out on the other side of, of, of 11 years and a pandemic better better for it. And and I you wouldn't think it, but somehow this stuff is still funny. It still works. Yeah, it's 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 still hilarious. It's I mean, and I haven't seen one since the second one, so that's maybe 15 years. Um, and yeah, it's still unbelievably funny. Have you not seen Jackass 3D? I did not see the third one. 
Oh, dude, we should get the other one, Jackass. Jack, watch Jackass 3 your place. Jackass 3 has some good stuff, like, for what it's worth. Um, I think the formal title is Jackass 3D, but you don't actually need a 3D for it. Anyway, um, I think that about wraps the Jackass Forever review. Any, any other thoughts or recommendations? No, I'm ready. I'm so glad we got to watch this one. Uh, I really am. I'm glad we got to talk about this on the show. Andy, would you recommend Jackass Forever? Absolutely, with a lot of caveats. Yeah, um, lots of caveats. Yeah, yeah I mean, it is it is hilarious. It is funny. It is, uh, you know, it, it's for everyone. It's a, introducing this young, diverse cast. Um, it is really gross. <laughs> uh, some of it, like I said, there's a ton of male nudity. It's not flattering. Uh, there's a lot of gross out uh, stunts. Uh, people get hurt. They get hospitalized a couple times. Uh, so that's kind of w- what you're in for. But it is just unbelievably funny. Uh, I was laughing, gagging along the way uh, with them. And if so, if you're a fan of the series or you watched the show gr- growing up, um, it's definitely for you. I'm in the same boat. Uh, this movie is a ton of fun. If you're a Jackass fan, you will not be disappointed. Go see Jackass forever. Uh, see it with as many people as you can who are also like-minded and know Jackass and will enjoy watching Jackass forever. Or maybe somebody who's open-minded and really wants to get into it. And you might be right. It might be a good first feature. But you're not going to want to watch this with your parents. You're not going to want to watch this with really anybody who would think this kind of brand of crude humor wouldn't work because Jackass forever my god do they push it to 11 like it is so crass um good luck keeping your eyes on screen the whole movie i couldn't <laughs> okay I, I would be very impressed to meet the person who could uh Jack yeah I, forever. I think i was the same way there was times I, I had to look away yeah I, I couldn't but at the same time like i i cannot think of a, a single film i've seen honestly in probably a decade that made me laugh as hard or as long or as many times as this movie did in theaters it's crazy it's baffling how well it works for me like it, it's like it taps into like the lizard brain like in the back of my head like a caveman right i'm just like i can't help but laugh at this goofy sophomore stuff it's so physical it's tangible it's kinetic i like jackass forever i think you'll like it too and with that we've got bigger things to move on to more important topics namely Andy, you want to you want to cue us in it's time for the 2022 Oscar nominations. So bright and early this morning, the Oscar nominations were announced at uh, 7.30 Central Time. That was 5.30 LA time, uh, Pacific time. They, they do them super early so that they get them on the East Coast at a decent hour. Um, a lot of upsets, uh, some surprises, some not so surprises, uh, but we're going to talk about them. So the big stories, the, the Power of the Dog came out with 12 nominations. That's massive. Uh, Netflix getting something like 20, I think 27 nominations. Uh, Dune was in second place with 10. Um, those are kind of the big stories. We're going to try to, there's a lot here, so we'll try to go through these uh, quickly. Uh, we'll start with Best Picture, which had 10 nominees. Usually, You can do as many as 10, but you don't have to. Some years just have seven or eight uh, full 10. So, And the list of that is Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, which is a foreign film we're going to talk about from Japan, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. So a long list. Uh, Zach, what do you think of these? I think it's... 
Interesting. I don't know what I expected to see on the top 10 this year, but there's definitely a few that are a surprise uh, and a couple of stayovers from the Golden Globes. I didn't think would make it. I was talking to Andy just last week. Who I thought, well, the Golden Globes were small time this year. I think I'd be looking at small time films. Apparently, the Oscars feels differently. <laughs> These are not small time films. They are big deal films. And, and, and they're being looked at as such. Uh, best Director, category goes to uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, another one. Uh, re, 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 the director of Drive My Car, whose name Hamaguchi. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Uh, yeah, thank you for Drive My Car. And Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Andy, thoughts on directors? Um, I mean, not surprised. Jane Campion uh I heard a lot of talk about her. Her second nomination, I think the person was for the piano like 30 Which years she ago. she won in like 1993, I think. Mm-hmm. We studied that movie in school. I remember the piano. Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, which I've heard really great things. I have not heard anything aside from the trailer we literally saw over the weekend for Drive My Car. Uh, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, not not surprised. I haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet. Um, I think I'm just going to be disappointed by that movie. I am not, I'm both surprised and not surprised to see Spielberg on here. Uh, most surprising though, is that Denny Villeneuve is not on here despite Dune getting 10 nominations, including best picture. Yeah. It only got double digit nominations. Why would we give the director a nod? That's silly. The, the only, <laughs> the only excuse that I've heard is that maybe they're waiting for Dune two, kind of a Lord of the Rings situation where they'll wait till he's done with the saga too. So that I don't is, know I, about that. That is an excuse. I would call that an excuse first and foremost. But there are other uh, people that could have been, been on here. Like Spielberg, you know, he remade a movie almost shot for shot, very similar, nothing really new or inspired. And, yeah. he, you know, he's on here because his name is Steven Spielberg. I mean, it feels like it. I mean, people always say the Oscars are a popularity contest and like it definitely. And that movie bombed. I mean, yeah, I don't want to say it is with the power of the dog getting so many noms, but like, look at the success of the Golden Globes. You don't think Academy voters were at least a little swayed by that? Maybe they vote beforehand. I don't know. Maybe that's completely by by proxy, but it just seems like, that's, good God, right. the power of the dog is the greatest film of the year. I mean, by the look of it, it is the best film of the year, and that's surprising to me. Yeah, it's important to remember that the Oscars are very, it's very political. There's lots of agendas running. A lot of it are film studios campaign for their films to, to get nominated. And so that's, that introduces, you know, a financial element of the films that have budgets to campaign heavily. You know, if you don't have them, that's why we're going to talk about a lot of films that aren't on these lists at all. Um, but there it's very, it's not objective by, by any means. Uh, let's go on yeah. to the best actress. Let's go on to Best Actress. Uh, Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter. We'll be talking about that in just a second. Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos. And Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Uh, I'm a little surprised by how many of these I haven't seen. And that makes it difficult for me to comment on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only one that really jumps out at me, I, I did. I heard Nicole Kidman was not that outstanding in being the Ricardos. So I'm a little I know, surprised that you're on here, but I haven't seen the performance. So I can't really, you know, the only yeah, the only buzz I've heard is negative buzz about being the Ricardos. Uh, I have heard that Kristen Stewart is very good in Spencer, um, I which we I haven't seen. We haven't seen. I've also heard that uh, Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye. I actually just listened to a review yesterday and interviewed that, that uh, she is very good in in that movie but that that movie has not hit anywhere it hasn't really have a wide release and i think the movie itself is just kind of middle of the road yeah i think it's on i want to say like hbo has it now somebody's got it i think i saw it the other day maybe we'll watch it at some point i don't know best actor uh 
Um, so we have Javier Bardem from Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch, The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield from Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith from King Richard, and Denzel Washington in The Tragedy of Macbeth. I don't know who I'm pulling for here, honestly. Um, I mean, I remember people saying Will Smith was a bit of a bit of a winner, but um, not anymore. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I didn't see two of these. I didn't see Being the Ricardos. I didn't see Tick Tick Boom. Uh, Power of the Dogs, pretty good stuff. And I did low key like Macbeth, but it did not get a lot of love here. So I'm not I'm not even sure about that. I feel like Denzel might be the. Denzel Washington might be the front runner because it's him doing uh, Macbeth. I've heard really great things about Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a, a film musical about the uh, writer creator of Rent, uh, where he has to he don't had to learn to sing and perform all all the songs himself. And then of course Benedict Cumberbatch just in in the twelve nominations for The Power of the Dogs. That's going to be a really difficult category, and I think everyone aside from Will Smith probably deserves that. All right, I want to hit you with two more categories I want to do, and then I think we can move on because a lot of them are, you know. Sure, sure, sure. I'm not going to say they're a wash, but obviously this is a podcast. I want to keep things moving. I'm thinking best cinematography and best animated. I'll take I'll take animated if you do cinematography. All right. Because I like animated movies. Yeah. Uh, best animated features uh, went for Encanto, Flea, which is a movie I've not, heard, not seen, Luca, The Mitchells versus the Machines, and Ryan the Last Dragon. Disney showing up for three of these, and I feel like... Am I crazy thinking they own Mitchell's versus the machines? Didn't they get that with 20th Century Fox or something? I don't Maybe know. Not. It's Maybe on Netflix. Studio. I know. I, I just felt like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I heard something about them owning that or something. But anyway, definitely Disney on here for three. Uh, one I definitely haven't heard of in the Mitchell's and machines. Andy, you got any? I think you know which one it, is the. I mean, it's an interesting, uh, I mean, in Encanto is probably the, the bigger uh, of all these. Luca, what? I'm surprised Luca's on here because it went straight to streaming. But I guess that can you, or maybe maybe they released in the theater somewhere one week in LA. Or, um, so, but the Mitchells versus the Machines it was fine. That was a lot of fun. Ryan the Last Dragon was fine. The big it's going to be between Encanto or Luca. I feel which is between get Disney and Disney. So yeah, if anybody if anybody ever tells you that Disney isn't really embracing diversity, show them their 2020 2021 animated feature Oscar noms. Like all three of these are like incredibly diverse films. Um, I don't know, it's just something. Cinematography. Right, so we have Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Andy, which one of these was the prettiest movie? Uh, it's hard to say. It is that's a solid, it's a decent gosh. cinematography category. I'm gonna I mean, be honest. Yeah, this, yeah, this is this is. I mean, Nightmare Alley looks phenomenal, both in color and black and white. Dune, of course. Tragedy of Macbeth looked great on a low budget. West, like, you know, yeah. West Side Story. As much as I, I, it's not original. It did. You know, it is a well made film. Uh, it does so, look good. I'll give it that. Power of the Dog, I can't really remember too much. <laughs> if Power of the Dog gets cinematography, I'm going to be like, really? Like, I, look, it's it, I'm, there's a reason it's on the list. It's worth nominating. But, dude, like those other four stood out so much more than dog cinematography, to me, at least. Yeah. Like, it's striking stuff from all of these studios. So, I don't know. That's the hot list. Those are the Academy Awards. Uh, that's that. There's obviously more to look at. You can go to our our our, our source here, the Hollywood Reporter, where we found this uh, to look at our list and what we were getting things off of. But you know, there's there's a lot out there. Andy, is it worth talking about the Razzies? Well, I wanted to kind of talk about snubs and, and things that. Oh on, yeah, on damn! We didn't list. talk about snubs. What am I thinking? Oh my god! Yeah. We're talking about snubs. Yes, absolutely. What got so, snubbed? 
so we mentioned the big one, Denny Villeneuve not being nominated for best director, mm-hmm. but other some of the some of our favorite films of the year, things like The Green Knight, Nowhere to Be Found, uh, Annette, ba- Baby Annette, Baby Annette, no nominations <laughs> for Annette, none, none, baffling. Um, uh, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, right? Uh, Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, nothing. not seen here. Like that might God. be Oscar Isaac's best performance of his career, and it's on God. Fun. And I, I tell people that, and I think they think I'm kidding, or I haven't seen a lot of Oscar Isaac movies. I genuinely, it may be the best performance he's ever put on film. I really mean that. Like God, ah, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I don't see these magical films represented. There's more. I can't even yeah. think of them right now, but I know there's more. We were talking about them earlier. In in the in the best uh, in international film, uh, I fully expect. Well, I wanted to see Teton, but the film by Julia Dupinel. Yep, uh, that we talked about so much. Uh, it's not the kind of film they want. The Oscars want to basically discuss because a lot of a lot of what the Oscars is, it's buzz about Hollywood itself, and you know you can have challenging films and all, mysterious films and this, but they don't want things that are just too kind of out there or upsetting, um, and also not wholesome and and that's i mean titan is about a serial killing uh kind of transgender woman and they can't handle it it's too bold yeah that's that, all it that, is it's too bold there's all, there's all these cars and machinery oil metaphors and it's it, it's incredible um but it didn't make the list and it's it's not surprising because uh, i'm so people, people are squeamish I mean, yes, people are squeamish, but like, I also don't think people are flat. And like, I, I look at the power of the dog getting 12 noms. I'm like, really? You couldn't throw one at that card counter? You, you, couldn't, th- you couldn't throw a nod at, at dispatch? Nothing for a net? Not even best song? I mean, come on. That soundtrack is banger. Like, <sighs> there's some really great set design in a net. Like, I just, I'm, I don't know. Right. Some other ones that uh, stick out. Uh... Nicholas K or Pig being completely overlooked, which is surprisingly Pig. Watch that last week if you haven't heard our review. It's good stuff. Go back and listen. Um, Ridley Scott getting no love, both no, no zero nominations for the last duel and zero nominate or one Jim. technical nomination for uh, House of Gucci. No acting awards for Jared Leto and uh, Lady Gaga. Nothing uh, for Lady Gaga. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is more surprising because I've heard I've heard she's she's very good in in that. So yeah, yeah, his two big and and another thing that Hollywood likes to reward successful films, and so if your film bombed, there's a good chance it's not gonna <laughs> uh, get a lot of love. And both the last duel was a huge bomb. House of Gucci did okay, but it's it, it's a, he's making films that aren't really connecting with audiences. Yeah, Power of the Dog seems to be a breakaway as like this year's Roma which is yeah. um great for netflix and 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 it's pretty clear streaming services are are the dude they're they're exactly where steven spielberg didn't want them to be spielberg never wanted to have to run against net streaming films he, he didn't think they were fair it has to come to the silver screen he was one of those big advocates so here nothing he is to, nothing to do with yeah. all your theaters and going going toe-to-toe with spielberg's first musical we'll see what turns out right people love west side story people like spielberg i, I just I, I don't know i i the Oscars, yeah. the, the Oscars have a more diverse voting cast than they ever had before. That was a big thing after last year. Like, there's a lot of really great picks in here, but at the same time, I still feel like there's a handful that just got left on the cutting room floor. I mean, nothing for the Green Knight. Nothing, nothing. That kills me. It's phenomenal. Anyway, 
It is phenomenal. Uh, we should skip the Razzies because we're running out of time. Maybe we'll come back and talk about them next week. Yeah. <laughs> the Razzies are not a whole lot going on over there, so let's not worry about that. But you know where to go on the internet if you want to find out more. Uh, in the meantime, we should get to our final review of the episode. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away. The Lost Daughter. Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. So this is the directorial debut uh, by of Ma- Maggie Gyllenhaal, and this is both written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and it's based on a novel by Elena Ferrante. It follows Olivia Coleman, who plays Leda. She is vacationing in Greece. Uh, she is a professor of literature. She is uh, kind of an older middle-aged woman, and she's just traveling by herself, uh, just enjoying the beach. Uh, a uh, large family comes and joins kind of the resort that she's at. They're a little loud and rambunctious, and they kind of upset the peace. Um, but Olivia Coleman, uh, character Leda, she kind of connects to uh, this woman named Nina, played by Dakota Johnson, who is a struggling young mother. She is, you know, 23, 24, something like that. She has a five, four or five-year-old daughter who is a, a challenge, and she is struggling in mother motherhood and olivia coleman it reminds her of her youth and we get flashbacks to her growing up with two uh challenging uh children uh the younger version of her is played by jesse uh jesse buckley um and that's kind of our setup so we it's it's this family drama uh kind of very interpersonal looking inside you know her thinking back to to the difficulty and the struggles and what that means and decisions she made and whether they were the right things to do, the wrong things to do. Um, at one point, uh, Nina's young daughter gets lost on the beach. Everyone's panicking that everyone's freaking out, trying to find her. And uh, Leda f- finds her somewhere and eventually comes, takes her back. She's a little bit of a hero, which is helping this kind of conflict they have. Um, and so she develops relationships with the, this family who who we don't really know much about but they came they seem a little shady they seem they might be a little little scary um but that's that's kind of our setup so it, it's about a woman's perspective a mother's perspective about the difficulty and the challenges uh, of being a mother and raising children and about saying things you're that you're not supposed to say or that society tells you you can't say about motherhood or being a woman and things like that so it's a very complicated film it's a very long full two hours Zach, what do you think? So I, upon first, upon first shine, I, I, I did not like this movie, and and fundamentally, I, I, I kind of don't. I, I kind of did not like this. Um, but I saw it get three Oscar nominations this morning. <laughs> and I Surprise thought, okay, I can, yeah, I can hop on, I can hop on off script, and I can uh, speak my mind about how I think this movie uh, is pretty well put together and as a first directorial debut is actually pretty well done um, but ultimately misses the mark um but i watched a couple of reviews and I, I read a couple articles and i thought okay there's this is a more objective way to look at this so i want to talk about what i think this movie does well and what i think maggie Gyllenhaal was going for and then at the end i'll talk about why i disagree with it because i think if i presented objectively as hey here's what works about this here's what this is supposed to be here's kind of what this experience is and then here's ultimately why i disagree with the interpretation presented I think I'd like it more. I, I think I think that's easier to swallow for our audience. So let's talk about The Lost Daughter. The Lost Daughter is a movie that's about a tone. 
Right. It's 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 about a tone because it's not a very visual story. The Lost Daughter is 90% people just talking on the beach. <laughs> There's not a lot of action. There's it's not I like I thought looking at it, maybe it was a bit of a thriller. It isn't. There are no thrills. There are a few chills. There is much very little action happening in the world of uh, the Lost Daughter. Hey Andy, you're back. How's it going? We're back. We're doing all right. Uh, sorry, I just went to Facebook and checked if we were still live. We are. So I was just telling people that uh, I was just getting into the lo- the Lost Daughter, not having a lot of action. So a whole lot of people standing around talking. It's most of the movie. Yeah, it is um, that, that kind of relationship drama of the relationships of people. You know, it's between Leda and the family that she's kind of scuffling with, but also kind of on okay terms and then her flashing back to different points in in her her life and her struggle of being a, a mother yeah and and most of this is presented through two settings of time we're either going to see olivia coleman in the present at this idyllic mediterranean villa that she's staying at because she um has lived her whole life as a, a tenured college professor and has the ability to travel the world and go wherever she wants she clearly doesn't have a problem with with money uh she's staying at this wonderful place where where everything should be idyllic and nice uh, and then we jump back to uh her past where we say young young leda leda played by uh, jesse buckley um who's like a younger version of her who's raising her two daughters so we're jumping between present leda who's older and alone and younger leda who uh, has a family and, and the film starts to address these questions of motherhood and how she feels about it and 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 really um kind of saying the quiet part out loud that maybe a lot of women don't really just fall naturally into motherhood that that um it doesn't come naturally for a lot of people and for some it's scary and some don't want to be mothers and 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 it kind of tries to tackle this question of of nature versus nurture should should you just become a mom and and feel like that's your responsibility and it's something you fall into and 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 you find yourself and discover yourself and you become a mom or do some women not get that and and they become a mom and go oh no i can't stand this and this is bad for me and 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 the lost daughter chases olivia coleman as she is a woman who's made decisions in her life that reflect that feeling that she does not want to be a mom that she it's not for her and now she's older and she's just kind of wrestling with that silent those decisions she made and where she's ended up now in her life that's the angle the lost daughter kind of brings in and and it tells all of that through basically talking heads uh it's not particularly visual jumping back and forth between time helps and being on the beach is nice but like yeah you're not getting you're not getting action in the lost daughter it's pretty pretty much people talking for two hours that's that's going to be the 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 structure of your film yeah and we we get the the two stories and they're almost competing for each other like i would have almost rather seen more of the young young lady story with uh jesse buckley that i thought because that's where you know she makes some very kind of uh selfish and life-altering decisions as a young mom and what happened there and the fallout from there is what i would have liked to kind of see but we see her struggling with those like she thinks back to what it was like when, when she was a young mother um reflected by dakota johnson's character and how she was struck and how she seems to really regret uh, these decisions that at the time seemed uh, to be the, the right thing. Right. Um, um, go ahead. There's also, there's an important plot point where uh, the child's doll has gone missing uh, and they're adamant about trying to get this doll back. And it turns out Leda has, has taken it and hidden it. 
And we don't really know why. And the, and the film doesn't really tell us either. This is something for us, for the audience to kind of struggle with and, and figure out. Um, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of a plot point that, you know, you're supposed to try and understand or, or figure out what the psychological thing is, is going on. Yeah. It's a film where a protagonist is incredibly flawed, right? Like you, you, and in the first, the first hour, you don't really come to understand her. And then as you kind of find out more about her past and get more of these glimpses into who she previously was, like you start to get that. And, and really the climax of the film, it, it feels as if it's building towards some kind of, doom or gloom a lot of the film is, is color graded very gray it, it looks almost overcast which is not how a mediterranean vista or villa should look um but but everybody in it is 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 a little questionable and it just feels like almost like a thriller like oh this is this is going somewhere and there's gonna be some kind of climax here and then you find out like the climax is actually something that happened uh, uh that you've already something that happened in the past and and that adds a new dimension and weight to our characters for the rest of the film uh, and that gives you much more insight into Olivia Coleman's character and who she is and why she acts the way she acts, why, how, how she was in the past versus how she is now. And, and that's pretty effective, I think. And, and you're right, that plays great against this kind of uh, uh, mirror character that she's found in Dakota Johnson on the beach, this young mom who loses her daughter and she, she, she has to help find her. Um, I, I think that, that, that gives Olivia Coleman's character uh, the ability to express herself uh, in in the in the modern in the in the present time in a way that she hasn't been able to prior that's that's kind of the vacation uh, that's the wonder she finds in the Mediterranean in her, on her vacation but um, it does make for a long first hour because for the yeah. first hour of this it's a two hour film and for the first hour it's pretty much all set up and and that 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 was hard to get through. <laughs> yeah to me the uh, the film gets more interesting the longer it goes first act really dragged for me. Um, but but once we kind of start having these flashbacks into her past, having more and more of that and see where kind of these wild and reckless decisions uh, happened and what kind of came about, about them, it's much more uh, interesting. But um, yeah, it's, it feels too long to me. It, it needs to lose like 15, 20 minutes for sure. Yeah. And ultimately, like it's it's a complex story um, with some quality drama behind it that that turns out to be surprisingly I don't want to say dark, but it's 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 a thoughtful introspection into how how something would be perceived as dark, and I think that's where my my interpretation of the movie starts to wander from what it's objectively trying to do. I came away from this feeling much different about the characters, and I think the director intended. And based on other reviews I've read, that was a misread by me. But I do want to talk about that because I think other people might feel the same way. I don't know if you will, Andy, but. Um, how did you, how did you, so, so let me just, without getting the spoilers, I do want to talk about it. Andy, how did you read our main character? Did you read her as somebody who's kind of thoughtful and, and, and nurturing, but maybe a little lost? Did you read her as like a complete stranger out of, out of nowhere who you can't read at all? Cause, cause I'll be honest, there, there were parts of this. I read her more like Bradley Cooper's con man in nightmare alley than I did like a kind hearted so yeah, I, I think I think that's completely unintentional. I think that's a bad read by me, but I'm not sure. She's a very complicated character because like she does 
nice things like you know she finds the lost daughter the daughter who is lost on the beach um but then she also like takes her favorite toy and, and hides it for some sort of weird personal you know it, it she in, admits at one point that like, she's a very selfish person and she has done she's very an selfish. Unna- un- unna- unnatural mother unconventional yeah. mother yeah um and she's done very selfish things and it, it, it she kind of plays both sides like there's times where she does the right thing and does the very motherly nurturing thing and then there's things where she's incredibly selfish um, particularly her younger self and in, in, in the past and kind of it's almost like she wants to warn Dakota Johnson like I think at one point she said this is a crushing responsibility and it just never ends god yeah it it never gets better it never gets better like it, and that's not exactly the tone of the film but like it 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 seems to be a part of her character and that that's where my my read came in i i think that you're supposed to feel some kind of sympathy or at least like human connection to this individual in the original short story that this is adapted from the entire thing is an inner monologue from this, from the perspective of Olivia Coleman's character. The mm-hmm. film never once has an, any kind of inner monologue from her. In fact, it has very little dialogue at all from Olivia Coleman. She's very quiet and she keeps all these feelings inside kind of bubbling under the surface. Our flashbacks are the best best we get at any kind of like actual inner thought from her otherwise at least to me she prevents she presents very cold she prevents she presents very uncaring um i do think she's got some some emotion under the surface but they said in interviews well we didn't want her maggie gyllenhaal specifically said this "I, i didn't want her character to seem crazy she's not crazy and i was like that's where I disagree. <laughs> that, well, no, I, that's I, where you missed it for me. I think she's nuts. <laughs> that 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 was the read I got. So when I get to the end of the movie, I'm like, well, that sucked. And it turns out that is not at all what the director intended. That's not what they're going for here. I just didn't get it. And, and I'm I'm bummed. Well, I, mean, I, I, think I think it's specifically I mean, I, I think it is a movie that like you're not gonna understand if you're not a woman and and a right. that's definitely who you and I think part of it, it's not it exactly it's not that she's crazy, it's that she is feeling the things a lot of women feel but aren't allowed to say or feel they're not allowed to say. You know, yes. I, that, that's a lot of what Maggie Gyllenhaal said in, in interviews. One thing I, I wanted to talk about, so this actually got two nominations, two acting nominations, both Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley. Uh, we're playing the younger version. And they do have some they do have a a couple of really, really incredible moments. Of, yeah um of, of acting and so that those are well deserved and, and a little surprising as as well um but yeah I, I think i think it does have some problems the film overall so a bit of trivia about those performances actually that make their nomination particularly interesting jesse buckley and olivia coleman are playing the same character in this film um but jesse buckley and olivia coleman have different accents and they look pretty close. I actually think Jesse Buckley's a, a decent fit for a young Olivia Coleman. It actually works pretty well. Um, but they are different characters. They act almost differently of each other, almost independently, to, to represent this like world apart, right? That they that they've been through this time that they obviously can't share. Jesse Buckley is young Leda. Olivia Coleman is old Leda. But what's interesting is these two actresses not only didn't interact on the set, they didn't watch each other's performances. They didn't practice in the same room. They both went in with completely different interpretations of the same character, and both of them are getting nominated for Academy Awards for it. That's interesting. And I don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't know how they got there, but both of these women are incredibly talented. Uh, Dakota Johnson as well, and, and I'm going to be honest, uh, like watching The Last Daughter, it's hard, it's hard to deny that they're, what they're doing is very good. I just didn't 
I didn't get the emotion that came from it. And I think Andy's exactly right. I'm a dude. I in no way could understand the struggles of being a mother and maternity. Like in the same, in the same breath, I in no way can understand the struggles of being a daughter and being raised by a mother. Like I completely miss that. And that's a whole part of this movie, this kind of cyclical interpretation of mother and daughter and who is really the lost daughter in the title. Um, that's up for debate. And, and I, I, I missed it. And I felt like, this character came off as unkind. I felt like she came off as, as mean and, and unassuming. And I, I have a hard time disconnecting from that. Cause when the lights go up and the movie's over, the feeling you're left with is usually the feeling you carry with you when you talk about it. And that's how I felt about the lost daughter. I felt like mm, miss. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it got three Oscar noms. So like, I don't know, man, uh, it, it didn't do it for me, but there is something happening here, and it's gotten really good reviews. So I think The Lost Daughter might be worth watching, but it just it didn't it didn't land for me personally. Mm-hmm. That's the deal, and I think that's the cleanest way I can say that without expressing how I felt when I finished watching it 24 hours ago, which was, "My God, what trash!" So, <laughs> oh God, I'm glad I've I've taken the time to step away from The Lost Daughter and get my head together. Um, there's a reason this movie's nominated for Academy Awards. It didn't quite speak to me, but it's here. Any any other thoughts or for recommendations? I think I'm ready. I think we've been obscure enough talking about this. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Netflix's The Lost Daughter? I, I wouldn't recommend it to some some people. Like I, I really want to to get uh like I, I want some of my female friends to see this, and I would like to get their perspective and and insight. Um, but I probably wouldn't recommend this to most people it's just so slow it's it's such a drag and it's it's long it's a full two hours like you know you get to act three and you got 45 minutes left and you're like what what could possibly be going on nothing has happened on this beach or at this resort so it's just it's it's very long it's very slow i feel like it can lose 15 20 minutes to be a lot more uh palatable it but it's one of those films that it's more fun to discuss after the fact than it is to watch it like you got to get yourself through it it's again power the dogs a little bit that way phantom threads that that way you got to power through it but once you do then there's a lot to talk about a lot to discuss um there's a lot going on it's just it's a bit of a chore to get through it is and i think the lost daughter is a it's a character drama where ultimately I, I came away feeling completely different about the characters than I think uh, I was supposed to. But in a way, like, I think that's not all movies can do that, right? Like, it's rare that you can watch a movie and I can watch a movie and we come away feeling like we watched two different films. Um, there's something unique happening here. There's, some, there's something going on in Lost Daughter and it's not for me, but I feel like there's an audience out there who it's like just perfectly like just like laser sight aimed on and i'm not sure who that is i i don't know who i'd recommend this to uh it's definitely bold cinema you're you're gonna need some patience that first hour is a grind that first hour is a grind in the lost daughter (laughs) much like much like jane campion's power of the dog also um yeah i i had to watch it with plenty of breaks yeah like it's 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 a struggle but i i think something's happening here there's some good performances in it go check out the lost daughter and with that, we should wrap the show. Uh, Andy, we're in a weird spot. We don't really know what exactly we're watching next week, but we do a movie podcast, so we're going to watch something. Uh, what are you thinking? Well, the big theater release is Death on the Nile, which comes out uh, February 11th, and that is theaters only. Good luck going against the Super Bowl. Uh, but we'll see that, of course, stars uh, Gal Gadot, 
uh, Cannibal Army Hammer and more. Yeah. God. <laughs> uh, Anti-vaxxer Letitia Wright. It's going to be killer. <laughs> big, ca big cast. Uh, I, I've heard, I have heard positive reviews. It, this was supposed to come out a year and a half ago and it's been delayed a lot. Partially because of COVID, partially because of Army the Cannibal. <laughs> I don't look. Okay, really quick. I don't mean to. Obviously, we're not we're not a rumors and gossip show. But Andy, I read an article last week about the Army Hammer Army Hammer Cannibal thing. Did you read into that at all? I read a little bit. Yeah, there are like a the man's dozen curious. The man's confirmed curious. reports. Yeah, like confirmed reports from multiple women and partners over the years of messages. Like it's. Dude, Army Hammer's into some gnarly stuff, which is fine. Everybody's got kink. But, like, not only do I feel bad that it's out there, but clearly his seem to be harmful, and that's bad, dude. Like, so Army Hammer, I don't know what that means for Death on the Nile, but uh, it's going to be weird watching him in it, I think. Um, just because, you know, weird, weird juju, weird energy. But excited to see it, and I don't know what else we're going to watch. Yeah, we there's a, you know, a bunch of the, now that the Oscar nominations are out, we'll look for something from there if any of it will be on streaming we'll try and, and catch it there and I, uh, we'll see we will see i have personal ask i should say on the show it may not work <laughs> I, I have a fear it won't work i have personal aspirations to go see drive my car uh it's screening in town uh this next week as far as i know it's at one theater and they have five shows over five days one two three four five so i'm gonna try to catch one I didn't know before we started recording. Or I, I found out just before we started recording. Drive my car is three hours long, two hours fifty nine minutes. So I'm I'm now even skeptical if I'll end up catching it in the theater. I, I want to watch it for sure, but like, um, dude, that's a lot of movie. That's a lot of movie. So we'll see. We'll see if I end up watching it. But uh, if you enjoyed the show today, if you enjoyed watching our show. Are you talking about our movies and maybe want to hear more? You can follow us at offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, we're on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday. We're on YouTube where we upload our live stream shortly after the episodes are done. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can follow us on all those normal social media channels. You can also follow the show on iTunes. You can subscribe so you can get brand new episodes delivered straight to your phone. That's audio only, of course, if you want the video. Facebook or YouTube, that's where we're at. Uh, you can check out our website, mail. Nope. You can check out our website, offscriptfromtheview.com. Got it. You can email us at mail at offscriptfromtheview.com. Send us some correspondence, what you think of the movies we're watching. Maybe uh, maybe any thoughts on these Oscar noms? Snubs, maybe? You got to have snubs. You probably just tag us on Twitter, honestly. We'll, it was like, what's well, snubs over there? But uh, yeah, that's 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 off script. That's what we got going on this week. That's what we got going on every week. Movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. Subscribe to Offscript. That's the way to go. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.